I, I know the pew Bibles are not out, but if you brought a Bible and want to turn to uh, John chapter 15, that's the passage of Scripture we're going to be looking at today. One of the things I notice is that the last things people say um, before they die are often uh, so important and even dear to us. And I've had that experience of being with people um, as they have died and the, the last words of love or greeting or direction that they give can be really important. And obviously everything that Jesus said was important, but it seems like there is a sort of a, a special weight on those things that Jesus said at the end of his life. And John chapter 15 records some events right at the end of Jesus' life. So Jesus and his disciples are in Jerusalem. They're celebrating the Passover together. And uh, it seems like in some ways, it almost feels like Jesus has made a mistake. It's like he's put all his eggs in one basket, and that basket is the disciples, these 12 guys. And if they don't understand what he's been saying, if they don't get it, you know, if they aren't able to live it and to pass it on, in a sense, everything that Jesus taught and did and died for would be lost. So here he is, this sort of last evening that he's spending with his disciples as they celebrate the Passover together. And it seems right off the bat that the, that the disciples are so far from what Jesus would want them to be. They're so lacking in understanding. So first thing is, they get into this upper room in Jerusalem. There's no servant there to wash their feet. Who's going to wash their feet? <laughs> it's, it's not going to be me, you know, each of the disciples saying, somebody else can do it, not me. So who does it? Yeah, Jesus does it, right? says he takes off his outer, outer garment, and he takes the towel in the basin of water, and he gets down on his knees, and he goes to one disciple and then the other, and he washes their feet. Amazing. And then he begins to talk to them about some of the things that they need to understand during these last hours of his earthly life and in the years ahead. And so what we find in John chapter 15 are these sort of uh, final words that Jesus gives to his disciples. So let, let's look at them together. Here's what he says. He says, I'm the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it may be even more fruitful. You're already made clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me, just as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. See, I'm the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Or apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that's, that's thrown away and withers. And such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. But if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you, you will remain in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I've told you this 
so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I've made known to you. You didn't choose me. I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. As I read that passage and think about all the things that Jesus could have said at the end of his life, you know, this sort of last chance teaching with his disciples, it strikes me that, that Jesus makes this amazing invitation to them that maybe they hadn't understood until that point. Jesus says, I want us to be friends. I think of you as my friends, and I want to be your friend. One of the things my wife and I have discovered, unfortunately, during these last several years, is how many people that we have been friends with for decades are no longer around. They've moved to, to be closer to their kids or their grandchildren, or in many cases, they have died already. And these relationships that were so important to us and that we enjoyed so much, these beautiful friendships, are, are um, not what they used to be. You know? In many cases, they've sort of dwindled down to an occasional email or maybe a phone call or a card at Christmas with a little note written in it. And we miss those kinds of relationships. And one of the things we've realized is that friendships need to be invested in, they need to be worked at, that they don't just stay the same, that if, if you're not investing in them, they kind of dwindle and eventually die. And so Jesus, in saying, I call you my friends, is saying, in a sense, you know, this is the kind of relationship that I want to have with you, but it's not just going to happen. It's going to, it's going to take some work on your part. You're going to have to invest in it. And it seems to me in these verses in, um, in John 15, Jesus is really giving us some explanation about how we go about maintaining that relationship with Jesus. Now think about it just, just for a moment. Who it is that we're talking about? You know, when, when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, it says in John that he went back to his place at the head of the table, and he said to them, you know, you, you call me your Savior and Lord, and so I am. You know, Jesus is the one who was their Lord, their Savior, their Master. He's not denying that, but he's saying, beyond that, I want to be your friend. Imagine having a friendship with someone that important. I um, was recently reminded of an experience that I had when I was in high school. I, uh, I'm a Hoosier. I grew up in Indiana. And in my senior year in high school, I was invited uh, to go to Washington, D.C., representing Indiana at a, at a youth conference there. So there were 50 of us, 52 of us, something like that. And the highlight of this conference was that we were going to, going to get to meet with the, with the President of the United States. 
And no, that was not Abraham Lincoln, <laughs> but, but it was John Kennedy back in, in the early 60s. And he was kind of a hero of mine at that point. So, you know, that was definitely going to be the highlight of this conference was uh, to meet. So he, he came and spoke to us and then had kind of a question and answer period. And um, afterward, then we each got to go through and meet him personally. And uh, an, am an amazing thing happened at that point. I, I had maybe gotten a little too vocal uh, in the question and answer period, asked uh, uh, quite a few questions. So anyway, when I got to the president, I introduced myself, and he said, um, I, I, I'll tell you what, I would like to invite you and, and this other student he pointed to, the two of you, to join me for breakfast at the White House tomorrow. Whoa, I was, I was bowled over. I said, ah, Mr. President, well, thank you. That is the biggest, that is the biggest honor of my life. Um, but I've got this coupon for, for all-you-can-eat pancakes at IHOP uh, tomorrow, so I think I'm going to have to say no. Now, that's not a true story in any sense. It never happened, but it's a parable I hope, to help us realize, what did you think when I said no to the president? You thought, what an idiot! Who would pass up a chance to go to the White House to have breakfast with the president of the United States, especially go, you know, go to, to the IHOP, right? What does it say, though? Someone greater than the president is saying to us, let's be friends. What possible reason could we find to say, I'm not willing to invest in that relationship. I'm not willing to, to have that relationship with you. The God of the universe, the King of kings, Lord of lords, you know, the commander of the army of heavens, you know, says, I want us to be friends. And he tells us how to do it. So let's look and see how Jesus gives us directions about how we can have that kind of relationship with him. And the first thing he says is, he says, you need to remain in me. Let me read you a couple of, of these verses. Abide in me, he says, as I abide in you. A branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it remains in me. Remaining in the vine. Some translations say abide in me. Or some even say live in me. And the illustration Jesus gives is a really helpful one, isn't it? It's, it's the the vine and the branch. You know, what happens, Jesus says, if, the, if they're not connected, if they're not remaining in each other, if the branch is broken off? I, um, I don't know if I've told you the last time we were here, my wife and I moved to the Western home in Cedar Falls um, last summer. And so my wife had been a really good gardener, and our home had really lovely gardens and flowers and things, and then we moved and lost all of that and moved to a place with nothing like that. And so uh, my wife's arthritis prohibits her from doing much gardening these days, so it fell to me. You know. And I don't, I'm, I don't know much about that kind of stuff. But I noticed the principle right away, even when we would go to you know, pick out some plants to plant in our new home. You know, the branch that's broken off, it's going to die, isn't it? Everything the branch needs for life, it gets from the vine. You know, the nutrients and the water and the strength that it needs. Jesus is saying, for us to have that kind of friendship relationship, 
That's the kind of relationship I'm talking about. You need to remain connected with me. It means we can't, you know, come, come on a Sunday morning and feel close to Jesus and worship Him and sing to Him and pray to Him and feel His presence and then set Him aside and go home for the rest of the week. That, that kind of binding, a bounding relationship has to be true for us all the time. Jesus says, I want us to have that kind of relationship where we grow, where I nurture you, where I give you what you need for life, and you trusted me to supply it for you. Jesus says, you know, remain in me as I remain in you. And he says, if you don't do that, you're not going to be able to bear fruit. Now, the Bible uses that term fruit in a couple different ways uh, in the Bible. But I think here what it's talking about is those Christ-like characteristics that the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit. Remember the Apostle Paul lists some of those in, in the book of Galatians. Let me just read you those. These are from Galatians 5.22. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit. Now, Jesus says the only way you're going to be able to bear fruit like that is if you remain in me. If we, if we stay connected together, that's going to happen. So, I think maybe one of the good things for us to do as we think about our personal relationship with Jesus would be to ask ourselves, is that kind of fruit being produced in my life? I'm a, I'm a big believer in New Year's resolutions. So, uh, you know, maybe every year at the beginning of the year, you ought to pull out that list that the, that the Apostle Paul gives to us. And I think there are more besides that in terms of the fruit of the Spirit. And to ask yourself, for us to ask ourselves, am I producing fruit? Am I more joyful than I was a year ago? Do I have more self-control? Is there more, uh, more love in my life? And to evaluate whether or not that fruit's being produced in our lives. If we're really connected to Jesus, if we're abiding in that relationship with Him, Jesus says that kind of fruit is going to be produced. And without that relationship, it is not going to be produced. It's not going to grow in us. So I would encourage you to, to think about your own life in that way. How's, how's your fruit? You know, is it growing? Is it reproducing or not? Now, let me say as an aside to this, I think this is not meant for us to evaluate other people. It's not that every year I pull out this list of the fruit of the Spirit and evaluate my wife. You know, is she more patient? You know, is she more loving than she was? I think it's meant for us to evaluate ourselves, to look at our lives and see how we're doing in, in abiding with Jesus and living in that constant relationship with him. So I think that's the first tip that Jesus gives us about this abiding relationship of friendship that he would like to have with us. And the second thing he talks about is his word about communication. Listen to what he says. I'm going to read you a couple of verses. This is verse uh, 3. And he says, you know, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. And then down in verse 7, he says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. 
What are the words of Jesus that we need to have in us? Well, it's the Bible, isn't it? Jesus is talking about the Word of God, the Bible that we have for us today. Jesus says His Word, that communication has got to be true in our relationship with Him. I, th I think that's really clear to us, isn't it? Any kind of friendship relationship, there's going to have to be communication together. And so Jesus is talking about the Bible. But I, I, I almost hate to say it because I, I hate to, to lay guilt on any of you, but there are studies that show that the number one way that we grow in our relationship with God is through engaging with the Word of God, with the Bible. And that's not just reading it, but it's reading it and thinking about it and letting it influence our, our lives. I, I've, I know from firsthand experience that you can read the Bible and get nothing out of it. In fact, two ways. I remember back when I was in junior high school, long time ago, my Sunday school teacher, junior high, said anybody who will read the Bible through in a year, she had this really nice Haley's Handbook. Do you remember those Bible commentary kind of things? She would give us if we read the Bible through in a year. So my friend Paul and I decided we would, we would do that. So the teacher had said, if you read three chapters a day and five chapters on Sunday, you can read through the Bible in the year. So Paul and I diligently did it. And I can remember some summer days when Paul and I'd be sitting out, out, outside on a blanket reading the Bible. Not your usual behavior for junior high boys, but we were kind of motivated to get this Bible commentary that she promised to give us. So sure enough, we read the Bible all the way through in a year. I don't think I got anything out of it at all. I don't think it changed me. I don't think I really learned much. All I got was this prize for doing it. The other thing was in our junior high youth group, you remember what youth groups used to be like when we were kids, a lot of us, you know, where you sat on folding chairs in a semicircle and somebody got up front and read some really boring thing and that's what, what youth groups used to be like. And uh, one of the things in our youth group was that every chapter of the Bible that you read during the week, you got a point for it. I don't know what the points were for, but I wanted points. So our youth group met on Sunday evening before the Sunday evening service. And so like 5 o'clock on, on Sunday afternoon, I'd go, oh, I haven't read any chapters yet. So I'd get up my Bible and, and I'll tell you a secret about this, that the end of the book of Psalms, there are like 20 Psalms that are really short, you know, five or six verses. You could read through those puppies, you know, get a whole bunch of them, so that I could do that, you know, in, in 10 minutes and go to, go to the youth group and sort of show how many chapters I had read of the Bible and get those points. And again, I don't think it made any difference in my life. So just reading the Bible, it's got to be more than that. Jesus is saying, you know, if my word abides in you, remains in you, changes your life and your heart. So how's that going to take place? I don't know how, how you're doing at reading the Bible, but I know a lot of people have had very bad experiences, I almost hate to say that, with, with trying to read and, and study the Bible. 
And, and maybe that's your reaction at this point to, oh, great, you know, read the Bible. You know, I tried reading the Bible. I didn't understand it. I didn't like it. It didn't make sense. What was the point of it? And I think a lot of people feel that way, and I know that's not God's intention. God wants us to be able to, to abide in His Word, to have His Word abide in us. So I want to make some suggestions that maybe wherever you are in terms of your personal Bible reading, that, that maybe this, this would help you a little bit. The first thing is, I would say you need to, you need to have a modern translation. Um, I know a lot of people who their grandmother gave them a King James version of the Bible when they were 12 years old or something, and it's still on the shelf at home. And so when it comes to reading the Bible, you pull down that old King James version of the Bible. And uh, that's so hard to understand today. In fact, I can remember as a kid when I grew up in a church where the, the King James Bible was all that was used, and just so many of the words in it just didn't make sense to me, just made it harder and harder. So I would say, I would encourage you if, you, if you don't have one, to get a good modern translation of the Bible they are just as accurate, in fact, I would say more accurate than the old King James Bible was, and so much easier to understand. So, like the version of the Bible that I was reading from is the NIV. Is that what you have as your pew Bible? Does anybody know? Yeah. Now, that's a good translation. The one that's kind of become my personal favorite um, is the ESV. It's called the English Standard Version of the Bible. And... Um, I, I really like this. So, like the NIV or the ESV version of the Bible, get one that's, that's, a, that's a modern translation. That will help a lot. The second thing I would say is, um, is start easy. I wouldn't advise trying to read the Bible all the way through. I've known an awful lot of people who set that as their New Year's resolution or something, and they dig into it, and they get through Genesis... And they make it through Exodus, and they get to Leviticus, and they die. And Leviticus is so hard and strange, you know, and, and so that's when they just, you know, kind of throw it all away and say it wasn't worth it. Um, I hope God doesn't strike me with lightning for this, but I would say, for now, forget about the Old Testament. I would say, start with the New Testament, you know. Read, read the Gospels, those four accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just enjoy getting this picture in your mind of who Jesus was and how he lived and how he taught. That can just be so exciting for us. Or read one of the, uh, one of the letters that Paul wrote in the New Testament, like, like Philippians, for instance, or the, the, uh, the letter of James that Jesus' brother James wrote. They're, they're fairly short. They're easy to understand. They're important to apply in our lives. So I would say, you know, I would, I would maybe skip the Old Testament for now and, and focus on some of these easier things in the New Testament that I think would help you. Third thing I would say is I would really encourage you to get a, a study Bible. Um, I, I think we need help. I think you need help. I think I need help in understanding the Bible. It is hard. I mean, you, this is probably the biggest book any of us would ever read in our lives. And it was written, even the newest parts, 2,000 years ago. It talks about customs and ways of life and figures of speech that are so different than what we experience today. I think to understand it, we're going to need help. And so, 
Editors of Bibles have done a great thing in giving us study Bibles. The ESV is a study Bible. And a study Bible means it doesn't just have the text of the Bible. It has some things to help you. It will have maps. It will have explanations. So like the ESV Bible, this is so cool. When you buy one of these, and I think they're about $25. If you buy an ESV Bible, <clears throat> you also get it online. So you can download the whole thing onto your computer. And then <clears throat> when you you also get it audio. So you can also listen to the whole Bible online when you buy one of these. So here's one of the ways that I use use it a lot. I will pull up, so I'm reading a book of the Bible. I'll pull it up on my computer, and I'll have this guy uh, who reads it, who has this really nice voice, and he knows how to pronounce all the words. It is, it is so nice. And so I'll have him read, you know, a, a few paragraphs, and I'll be following along because the text will be right there on my computer screen, and then I'll stop it. And if there are things that I didn't understand at it, then on the other side of the page, there will be these explanations. So each verse, if there's something that needs to be explained, it will have an explanation, like a, like a footnote for it. Um, one, of the, one of the things, I'll just share with you, it's kind of been a struggle in my life that I don't get to preach much anymore. And trying to figure out how God wants to use my life at this, this point. And one of the things I've discovered is that there are some young men who really would like to study the Bible with me, to spend time with me. I, don't, I sort of hate to call it a mentoring relationship, but it's kind of that. So, so we get together each week, and we're, we're reading through parts of the Bible and, and talking about life together. So, so that's how we do it. We, we're going through a book of the Bible, and so we'll read a little bit of it together, and then we'll stop and say, oh, well, what didn't we understand? What didn't make sense? And, and then we'll look at the helps, the explanations, the study helps that are in the Bible. So, man, it helps so much. And I don't mean this to sound cocky, but if I, who have been a pastor, you know, for 40 years, need help in understanding the Bible, you shouldn't be surprised that you're probably going to need some help too. So I would really encourage you to find, find a way to get that, that kind of help. I think when Jesus is saying, my word's got to abide in you, he's saying, it's got to make a difference for you. And so when I was in, in college, I was a part of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship Campus Christian group, and they emphasize three questions to ask when you're reading or studying the Bible. Ask, what does it say? So make sure you understand what it says. Then what does it mean? I know what it says, but what does it mean? And the third question is, what does it mean to me? What difference does it make in my life? And those three questions have kind of guided my personal uh, study of the Bible over over the years, because they're so easy to remember and so important to apply. So what does it say? And what does it mean? And what does it mean to me? So Jesus is saying, for us to be friends, there's got to be communication. And I'm going to be communicating to you through my word. My word needs to abide in you. The final thing that Jesus says is there has to be obedience Verse 10 says, you know, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. 
Jesus is saying, for us really to be friends, you have to do what I tell you to do. You have to keep my commands. Now, that in itself can be kind of intimidating, can it? Because, you know, I'm sure you've read enough of the Bible to know the Bible is full of commands. It's full of instructions about how we're supposed to live our lives. And, and how we're to understand those and live those out can seem so overwhelming. And so Jesus says this beautiful thing. Okay, he says... Um, you got to keep my commands, and I know the commands are overwhelming, and there are a lot of them, but if you can just remember this, he says, this is, this is my command. Basically, this is my command. Love each other. Love each other. So then the question becomes, okay, how, how do I do that? Remember when Jesus was asked about that, well, what's the most important command? And Jesus says, well, the first command is love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. So I think the way we need to understand the commands of God is that God is giving us directions on how we do that, how we express our love to God and how we live out our love for others. He's not um, making a bunch of rules that are going to rob us of joy. In fact, Jesus says just the opposite, isn't it? It almost sounds counterintuitive. Jesus is saying, I'm telling you these. God is telling you this. He's giving you these laws and rules so that my joy might be in you and your joy might be full. Do you, do you believe that? Do you believe that keeping the commands of God is actually the path to joy? It is. Jesus says that. And so I want to follow his leading, his guidance, his commands, so that I'll be able to express my love for God and love for others. Because sometimes it's hard to know what is the loving thing to do. Is the loving thing to be honest? Or would I maybe be more loving to tell a lie at this point? God is saying you may not understand all the reasons why, but I'm telling you this keep my commands. Love one another. Love the Lord your God. So, soon after this, Jesus and his disciples leave the upper room where they've been meeting for communion. They go out, you remember, to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is arrested. The disciples flee, run away, and Jesus is crucified, died, comes back to life again. And I'm sure these last words of Jesus had such import for the disciples to, to remember that Jesus says, you know, I call you my friends. I no longer call you servants because the servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I call you my friends. How beautiful that we are able to have a friendship relationship with Jesus I want to encourage you in it. I know that's the deep desire of Jesus' heart, and I hope it's the desire of your heart as well. So I'd like for us to, to pray and ask for God's help in that process. Let's pray. It is pretty astounding, Lord, that you would say you want to be friends with us. What an honor how you bless us with that invitation. And like any other friendship, Lord, it's going to take some 
work and effort and time, but it's worth it. So I pray for myself. I pray for these friends. I can remember some times in my life when you just seemed so close and so real that I think I could honestly say there's nothing in, in the world that I wanted more than you. But it isn't always that way, and our friendship kind of has ups and downs. Help us to be willing to do those things that you've told us that we need to do in order to maintain that friendship, because it really is that important to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.